we've all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But I think that some people are just better at maybe not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Kurt Chatfield. He is a musician and a very good friend of mine, and uh, he's actually the person who made the theme music for this cute little podcast that you were just listening to. Um, This here is a rambling conversation about many different topics, as always happens with me and Kurt. Uh, Hopefully it's coherent enough for you guys, but if it doesn't make any sense at points... It's pretty normal because a lot of times we don't make sense to ourselves. Uh, That's the whole beauty of trying to have a live conversation with somebody. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. If this kind of conversation is interesting to you, I've also done Kurt's podcast a few times, which is called The Balance Project Podcast. And I'll put a link to his SoundCloud on here so you can listen to that if you're interested. The most recent episode that I did with him was actually just after I'd had an ayahuasca ceremony and I tell him the story of what went on. And if anybody has had any experience with psychedelics, you know that uh, trying to retell the story of what happened while you were high on drugs is like uh, retelling a nightmare, and it's so hard to (laughs) make any sense of it. But um, it's a cool... I'm really glad that I have that recorded so I can occasionally refer back to it and remember what I felt. Um, Hope you guys have had a good week, and thank you again to everybody who's been giving me feedback about the podcast. It's awesome to know that people actually hear this shit, so I really appreciate it. Have a great week, and enjoy the podcast. Hi, Kurt. Hey, man. <laughs> Good American. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> is that actually like a, a state? Hey, man. Does that hey, sound man. like California? Yeah, I think that sounds like California to me. <laughs> sounds like smoking weed in California. But everyone says that that's what I sound like. Because you're from Colorado. Yeah. We don't. C- Colorado. Colorado. I was talking to my friend yesterday, and he's been in uh, Melbourne for like a month and a half and he's in Sydney now uh, for this comedy festival and when we talked to him when I talked to him before he just sounded like him the way he does he's Australian and I spoke to him yesterday and it was like he was on speed times 12 and I was like what you've been having blow all day or something and he's like what like how many coffees did he have he's like no I didn't what I'm just normal and I didn't realize like how much slower we are up here right and then people uh, um like back home when I would talk about being from Colorado they're like oh that's why you talk so slow because everybody in New York is like everything's like really high intensity and I was like oh fuck you've been in Melbourne for a a month and now all of a sudden you sound like you're on crack isn't that strange (laughs) getting shit done do you think they notice the low-key vibes we have down these ways yeah yeah, I'd say so. Well, you definitely feel it. Like, even just feeling a tangible difference. Like, I can't go any further north than Broad Beach because it sucks up there. And then you come anywhere down here and, like, just northern New South Wales, you know how, how it feels when you go to Yamba and shit. It's yep. just like, ah. Yep. It's so nice. And that's the same. I get the exact same feeling when I go back to Colorado. California, in the city, it's still a bit hypey. 
But um, my brother lives in Venice, and it's very cruisy and very casual. And then you get to Colorado, and nobody gives a fuck about anything. It's just so nice. Mm. It's so cruisy. And especially now that they've legalized weed, too. Everybody just... Everyone is just so, like, relaxed. I can only imagine. It's so good. You hear it, and it's like, is it happening? Yeah. Is it really happening? I don't know, man. I've, I've stopped heaps of the weed shit that I was doing. I went to Mardi Gras last year which is almost about to be Mardi Gras this year. And it was just like, I was fucked for three days in a row. I don't know. I, I just was in a haze of cloud of confusion. And you know, just that dumb thing when you're like trying to organize people to do things and everyone's stoned and no one knows what's happening. And no one really wants to push anybody to do anything because it's like, bad vibes, man. Oh, <laughs> so no one gets anything done. That was when I met my friend Tamvir down there. I drove down with him and he's he's just this really, you know, he's a super smart computer programmer type character and he just works fast and <laughs> I'm, I was sure by the end of the weekend he just fucking hated me because I was just like yay man <laughs> low vibe yeah well I'm such a people pleaser that I couldn't like uh, mm. push anyone I was like oh are we gonna do oh, no okay no problem <laughs> so so, <laughs> so you've just know. gone off the the hemp yeah well I think I just spending that weekend down there and just being kind of inundated and surrounded with it nothing got done you know everybody we kept saying we are gonna do things and then nothing really happened and I, I don't know man I just felt like Especially also because my fight career started happening a lot more. Like suddenly I was having way more fights. And every time, if I try and smoke weed while I'm in a fight camp, I don't feel good at all. Mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's good for my lungs. Even though all of the weed activists say that there's no, no problem, it should actually help expand my lungs. Uh, I know the, like the feeling, you know, whatever it is for me, I, I can't, I definitely can't smoke weed. I have a vaporizer, so I thought maybe that would help. But either way, I can feel it. I can tell that my cardio isn't as good. So it helps with inflammation, definitely, and it helps kind of relax you when you need to sleep. But if anyone's saying it's a health tonic to help you while you're training, I don't think they're exactly right. It definitely helps in recovery, but not while I'm high-intensity training. And the mental side of it, because, you know, I've always been pretty weird about fighting as it is. And, yeah, just the more, like, high I get, the more... Uh, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I started... On, recently in the last six months I've just been having like pure panic attacks because I'd be thinking about the fight that I had coming up and fuck I can't I just can't so I've just stopped smoking weed altogether I can't even imagine oh. to be honest I couldn't imagine the fucking fear of I mean I've been in fights street fights mm. and it happens so quick that you don't have that preparation you yeah. don't have it. You're just in it, right? And then it's the the ten minutes after, and that crash. I don't know what that is. Oh, but that crash. Yeah. It's after and, the adrenaline. Yes. Yeah, and the um, looking back, thinking, it just to me it felt um, wrong. Yeah. Um, obviously it's a street fight and it was over fucking nothing. Yeah. You know, but the the violence, um. you know, and the potential of what could have happened. Um, crashes down on you yeah, and you're sort of yeah. just like thinking, me personally, man, like he could have died. Mm. You know, I think back to a street fight I had when I was 18. I king hit this old guy who was being accused of being a pedophile and I was sober and everyone was drunk and I just came in from the side and bang, right on the chin <laughs> and he dropped. I walked oh my away. God. He wasn't even looking? No. 
Um, he was sort of – he wasn't like side on. He was 45 degrees. Yeah, yeah, so okay. still he wouldn't have seen it coming. Oh, no. But, you know, what could have happened? Oh, fuck. You hear yeah. those stories and I look back and just shudder. Yeah. Oh, God, that's awful. Fuck that. So I can't imagine the preparation leading up to mm. something that's like a legit fight – that's the hardest part about the fight, 100%. It's not hard. As soon as the bell rings, I'm, I'm not happy necessarily, but I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like I know my body knows what to do. My trainers have got my back, and I just need to do my job. And you're already in there, so there's no getting out. you know. Because the whole lead up to the fight, there's all this time where you're sitting there going, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should, should I? I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough. Oh, oh maybe I'm not ready. Oh, my, you know, my wrist is sore. Maybe I have an injury. You know, There's all these like thoughts that are happening, and every day... You wake up, there's a potential it might not happen. But then fight day comes, like once you make it through the weigh-in, for that first week while you're trying to get cut weight, you're you're preoccupied with cutting weight. The fight is there, but it's kind of an afterthought because the most important thing is that you make weight. Then once you've made weight, you just feel so good that you're allowed to eat and drink water and you just feel relaxed and you actually feel, it feels so good that you did it. Like, you know, the, you know, everybody's always like, well, I just feel better if I lost 10 kilos. Like, I lose 10 kilos in two weeks, you know? It's like so extreme. Mm-hmm. And you just, uh, your body never, I've never felt so good as you do in the last final stages of fight camp. You've always got a little bit of injuries and stuff, a little bumps and bruises because you're working hard. But you just, I literally just feel like a ninja. Every single piece of my body works perfectly. I'm as fit as I could ever be. You know, I could run for miles. I My like ligaments, everything just works perfectly. And then, and then so you have that, once you get in through the weigh-ins, you feel great. And then the next morning, it's fight day, and that's fucking agony. Like, the agonizing wait to start your fight show. The fight show starts at 7 p.m., and you wake up at 6 a.m. and go, okay, it's today. And just every once in a while, like, you just be doing your washing, whatever, and then all of a sudden, you just get a wave of panic, and then it wave, a waves the si- subsides, and then a wave of panic, and then it goes away. But you get used to it. Like, you do definitely. It's like, oh, that I know that feeling. It's this, it's fight day, it's fight day. And you get nerves of excitement too because you're kind of like, oh, cool, I, I finally all this shit I worked for, like it's time. And then, um, yeah, and that, every second of that day builds an intensity until that bell rings. And that is my most hated time. The worst time of all, the whole fight for me is when they call your name and you hear your music start and you got to walk out in front of however fucking many people are sitting around a ring. The ring's raised up in front of everybody. Lights are on you. And you have to walk out there and try and maintain composure in front of all these fucking strangers knowing that someone's literally standing across from you ready to beat the shit out of you. Or try. Or try. I, I find that, you know, when I used to play contact sports, mm. I thought I was nervous, you know, about to go play a game of rugby. And the whole morning, you know, seven shits later and then you finally get <laughs> yeah. in the car to go to the game. But once you got to the venue, what I found is that other people, like you gang, and then the, the nerves would go into a sort of another area. Yes, yes, yes. I know and then, then you sort of strap up put your boots on, put your gear on, and then it's more, I found, to be excitement. You know, mm. you're about to play the, this game that you love. Yeah. And at the same time, get smashed, but... Yeah, because rugby's yeah. an interesting one, because I know the feeling, like, I've never been... I've been nervous for uh, hockey games. Like, I used to play ice hockey from my university, and we went to the national championships at one point, so, like, it was big um, stakes or whatever, but I'd never felt scared... 
I always just felt pumped. I was just so excited. And I think, and there's nerves because, you you know, there's a little bit of pressure on you or something, but it's nothing major because the whole team's there and you don't want to fuck up, but at the same time, like, you got your team behind mm-hmm. you. But with, um, and I think there are a lot of fighters that get that feeling that you're talking about. Like, it becomes excitement. And I it does change a little bit for me. Once I get around my trainer and my, usually, like, if there's a couple of other of our team on the same fight show, then I get to hang out with them, too. So then, you know, it's just business as usual. We know that we've all been through this before. And it's good to see someone else going through the same emotions you are. But you're so alone. Like, mm. you just feel so on your own. It's so lonely. And I think... And this is what always gets me is like, am I supposed to be a fighter or not? Because I've, I talk to people after, just one of my friends just recently fought for the first time and I asked her how she went. She's like, oh, I I just was so fun. I had such a great time. Didn't want to get out of there. And I'm like, fuck, I've never felt that way. As soon as it starts, I want it to be over as quick as possible. I don't care how I get it done. And I do well. Obviously, I fought really well for, for my, so far, but. I just want it to be done. I've never got that feeling of like, yeah, I'm excited. I have little glimmers of it every, every once in a while, like, oh, it would be cool to win the belt or, you know, whatever that thing is, or like have that cool challenge, but I don't want it. Mm. It's almost like something I force myself to do. <laughs> Wasn't that most things? I think some of us, I've been thinking about this during the week, we have certain... Um, Desires to pursue. Mm. Desires, say for you, this is that fighting thing. So this is a thing that you must do in order to gain experience to make that decision. Yes. The hardest part is to make the decision whether it's for you or not. Right. That is to the walk fucking away. hardest part. You I know. know. So When's enough enough? Yeah, you can be like devote 13 years or two years. Um, it's not a waste. It's not anything you've got that experience to actually make the decision yeah. to either keep in the dogfight or take that experience and move it somewhere else mm. to something else. Um, yeah. And that could be another two-year slog. <laughs> but, you know, like, you've got to get that experience. And do you think, like, what do you think it is about you that needs that experience to be able to know your own self to make decisions? Being dissatisfied. Like, so you have to know what shit feels like to know what good feels like? Some of us do, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people can make that assumption and just be like that, I don't eat, blah, 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 or I don't do blah, 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 without ever doing it. That, to me, is just fucking crazy. You know, it's just... Who I am, that just is not how it works. You know, I have to do something to make the decision. Right. So you have to feel it, have experience to feel it, it, and then go, whoops, that was wrong. Absorb or, it, cool, be it, good. be in it, and then be like, nah, it's not for me. Like, yeah. legit, this ain't for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. or there's something else. I'm going to grow with this thing. Yeah. You know, rather than like, you know, you feel like a peanut in a coconut. <laughs> You're rattling around. It's, you just, it's not, it's empty. And yeah. you're, you, there's nothing for you. and yeah, Fucking move on. Yeah, man. Fucking move on. It's like, it, it really is, you know, I was thinking about this. So thinking in terms of vessels, right? Vessel one and vessel two. Vessel one is you. Vessel two is you in society or in the world. Like say you go to your job or go to buy your fruit and veg. You're participating out there, right? Mm-hmm. So 
if you're a social butterfly, um, you've probably got a... Which I am not. Which you are not, <laughs> which I fucking sure as hell is not. Uh, is not. Um, is it a shipping container? Sized vessel, you know, um, a container ship. Yeah. It's a fucking ginormous where you just like, you, you're an endless battery. You just can go seven nights a week. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Your ship is vast. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you can take on board a lot of stock. Um, and what is vessel one? Is it rusty? Has it got barnacles on it? Are you mm. neglecting vessel one mm. in order to participate in vessel two all the fucking time? Yeah. Being in the middle is understanding vessel one is a dinghy. Personally speaking, vessel two is a yacht. Yeah. It's just a yacht. I think I've come to a point where I know its capacity of of each. Right, boat. so when it's time to get off the yacht and get back onto the dinghy for a little while and experience. When it sinks. <laughs> when the dinghy sink? When yeah. When you when you're sinking. Yes. You're going under. You have to know that point. Yes. Okay, I understand what you you're saying. You have to know that point because then it's it's scramble time. Mm-hmm. After that point, everything's unbalanced. It's scramble. Mm-hmm. You do. You just you're off. Mm-hmm. You know. So socially, vessel two. Um, how much can you take on board? So you must have, like I say, a yacht because it's bigger than a dinghy because I have to socialise with, in my life, truck drivers. I have to, you know, deal with a lot of different people. So, yep. And I'm, I, I think I'm good at it because I can communicate with it doesn't matter what, who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I will find something to talk about, um, though it probably doesn't resonate with me, but I'm in vessel two here. Yeah, 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 I get what you're So I can communicate. I need to because I work in reality. So I do need to talk to people, you know, and um, fucking everyone does. But it gets – I learned that I was like a a bucket with holes in it. I would get to a point where I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll, I'm feeling good, like my boat might upgrade to a super yacht. (laughs) But then I would feel this – Huge energy dump. Yeah. Downwards. Yeah, just yeah. Down, just empty. suddenly exhausted, just empty, exhausted, and yeah. missing something. And you know, people can say that's a physical thing, an emotional, spiritual. I don't know. I felt it. I experienced it. Mm. So I learnt you can only go so far, and that's why it is now just a nicely painted yacht. Yeah. Um, and my dinghy is a dinghy because I. Have you know? I've wanted the dinghy to be a, you know, a bigger yacht, but I feel that it doesn't need to be. Yeah, it's almost yeah. kind of like it is whole in itself. I um, I've been. It's cool that you're talking about this now because this is what I've been trying to write into that book that I've been working on for ages. Was this concept? I call it the truth, and it's your little dinghy. So it's like uh, life exists and as close as you can be in alignment with the truth of every circumstance in this like 
duality that we have. So in order to have like any kind of feedback loop, there has to be something to bounce off of something else, right? But the truth itself, that dinghy or that clean, clear state that all of a sudden you just feel like everything's on track. That's you being in alignment with the truth. But anytime you're out of alignment with the truth, out of sync with the truth of whatever it is that's happening, it could be something as simple as not telling someone the truth lying in a situation or lying to yourself about something or ignoring, as you say, that feeling that's telling you to get out of the yacht and go back to the dinghy. But ignoring that feeling, that's when you start getting that pull and it gets stronger and stronger. Like uh, your intuition is another word for it. I f and I feel like the, the whole um, argument in this book is that there are a billion different ways for a billion different people to find this feeling, but the feeling itself is universal. Mm -hmm. Like I genuinely think that every single person knows what I'm talking about. Some, some people might put it like love, that they felt it with another person and they go, oh, oh, I know what to be in love is, or an animal. It's the same feeling to me. At the core essence of our nature, we want to feel connected to that thing. And anytime we're off of connection of it, as you say, it's that out of balance. Like something feels fucked up. And it's always kind of pulling you back. But it's not to say that you can't go and experience being off balance or being out in the yacht because we're creatures of our body. We experience reality. And we have to bounce off of the wall to know that we've hit a wall. You have to. You can't just be a monk and fuck off in a cave. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, I mean, you can. Of course you can. But um, most of us would just die because you didn't eat enough, basically. <laughs> but, well, you yeah. Know, you, you like that everything sort of has a a kind of ceiling above it and you have to sort of... Yeah, like tap into it. Tap yes, into I get it. what you're saying. You've got to tap into it and be like, oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. You, can, you don't have to do anything. But I think that in today's society, you know, with social media and stuff, is that everyone thinks that that they have the opportunity to be the best fighter or the best comedian or the best whatever it is that resonates with them. And, you know, that's a fucking fine line because, you know, those people you see and they think they're funny or whatever and you're just like, oh, but they mm. think in their own head. And that's brilliant. Like that's They think they're funny and they're just like, oh, I'm killing it. But everyone else, when you go to the comedy show, ain't laughing. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, so should I be for that guy and be like, fuck, he doesn't give a shit. He thinks he's funny. He's winning. Or Vessel 2, which is the crowd. No, we say you're not funny. Yeah, so what, it, what is that? See, this is, a, this is really interesting, man, is that you have to, as Shane was talking about this as well on the podcast I did with him a while ago, because obviously he's a comedian, that's what he does. But his, he said that exact thing, like that you have to have some element of delusion to be able to get yourself up on stage. You have to think you're funny enough to do it, right, from the start. And he, that's him hitting his head on the ceiling, right? Like, all right, I'm just going to go in there and give it a go. And he's done it for 10 years now. And all of the times, there, he could have the exact same jokes in every single room, exactly the same, exact same delivery. Some days it works, some days it doesn't. So it isn't necessarily the joke that works or not works. It's the relationship with himself and his experience to the crowd and then their experience. Mm -hmm. So many variables there. Yeah. And so you're right in, in some sense that the guy who thinks he's funny and gets on stage and does his thing and no one's laughing, that 
he needs to objectively look at what's happening. Why is nobody laughing? And that, in my opinion, is a denial of the truth. If you're a comedian on stage and your job is to entertain people and nobody's laughing, you're not doing your job. You may be being true to yourself or whatever, but you are presently not doing your job. It could be that you need to just hone your skill a little bit better or read the crowd a little bit better. It could be that the things you're saying are really funny and really well thought out and super smart, but the crowd you're working with is not responding. Mm. doesn't mean you're a shitty comedian. It just means you probably have to rethink it. But obviously this is shit that I know nothing about. But the idea is that like, anytime you're in denial with the reality of the situation or oblivious to the reality of the situation... I think that you're in danger of falling off track of that truth. And it becomes, because the difference is, it, it may be easier to describe the opposite, because the opposite is, when you get on stage or when you start making music, which I know is something you know a lot about, is that feeling of like, I am completely engaged in this sound, and when it comes out, it feels like power. Like something, you are just so directly connected to your fingers. It's almost like you're on track with something, and if you moved your fingers in a certain way, you'd fall off, but your fingers won't go any different way, they just stay. And your guitar just makes the sound automatically. And that, so that's the difference. I've seen, I've seen this. One of my friends who is like the most perfectly tangible representation of this is a comedian called Nick Sun, and um, he is like the embodiment of chaos. So he's all over the place, he lives his life to the utmost edge of chaos. There's no comfort in Nick's life. <laughs> and he doesn't live anywhere. He's constantly moving, traveling, experimenting with psychedelics, like all kinds of... He is just all on the edge of chaos. And when he gets on stage, every once in a while, he pulls that chaos through so perfectly, so in exactly in alignment, that nobody in the room could ever deny that he wasn't the best com comedian in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like, everybody feels it. The entire room can completely sense it and it's just it's literally just magic you know you walk away from something and go fuck yeah that was amazing and yeah. you don't even really know why it mm. just was good and then i've seen <laughs> other times and he doesn't have that thing because he relies on that thing so much because he he's a good channel for it but when he doesn't have it it's the worst like i've never seen someone die so hard in the ass ever <laughs> it's awful and what is that that thing that you can that flow state that you yeah. tap into there Exactly, man. And so my, my argument on this, if we go back to your example of the guy who gets on stage who thinks he's funny and he isn't, is that that person, if they aren't willing to experience the sensation of trying something new, they will never feel that feeling. I don't think, well, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm making too much of a judgment. But I don't think that they, uh, if you don't have enough self-awareness to be able to experience the absence of you, uh, in attempting to bring something forward without you, your involvement in it, then you don't, you can't get that flow state. You can't get that feeling. So if you're so attached to you being the guy that's funny and being like, "Fuck all these people," just because they're not laughing, fuck them. I'm still funny and I'm still going to do the same set for the next ten years or whatever. They are not going to get that feeling. They don't get that flow state. Which is interesting because think of, so everyone who like today, has more of an opportunity than, than ever, you know, to do whatever you want to do. Now, it doesn't mean you're good at it. You've no. <laughs> got the opportunity and it's fucking easy now. You've got technology, you've got all of it. It doesn't mean you're good at it, you know. So, for instance, if I was like, oh, is that how you add an exhaust to a Harley? Fuck, A, B, C, and D, done. Go do <laughs> yeah. it. Fucking nightmare. Yeah. You know, fucking nightmare. 
walk away. Don't do that again. <laughs> um, so the intuition thing. So you go do the comedian thing, and you, we're using comedian. I'm not saying, you know, but you choose to be a comedian. You go up there and you do your thing in the belief that you're funny. No one laughs. You know, do you walk away and go, I might retry a few different angles on the same set? Or do you just think it was the crowd? And then apply that to society today. Mm. This, Well, this is amazing. This is exactly what I talked to Shane about because I asked him that very question. Like, do you ever get in your head? Because this is me and, and fighting. I always get inside my head and go, maybe I'm not meant to do this. Maybe and, and he's like, yeah, of course. Like, you get this thought constantly. But he said that's the difference between people who have the potential to have amazing talent and people who don't grow is the ones that blame the crowd aren't changing the ones that blame themselves or not necessarily blame themselves but have a look at the material look at it from different angles and try again and keep trying and keep crying and keep trying they will eventually come into alignment with something that works but if you blame the crowd that's it that's all it is is a deferral of responsibility for your life and it's everything we do i blame whatever anything i can't be fucked today i'm not doing it my body's tired you know like oh i have my ankles sore i'm not going to kick pads and that's what i was saying to him in the podcast was like Fuck it, Muay Thai is so immediate. Like, artwork isn't immediate. I can try to make a painting and it doesn't really work or whatever, and I just kind of throw it away and not look at it again or put it out there anyway and then have 10 people be like, cool, pretty, you know? And then I'm like, it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I know it didn't feel good, but I'm still looking for validation, so thanks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But in fighting, you don't do the work, you don't show up, you don't think about it from different angles, you get the shit kicked out of you. It's so simple. Mm. You don't do the work, you get hurt. Cutthroat. Yeah, the feedback loop is immediate. With music, it's the same for you. Like, you can tell when you're connected to what you're doing when it feels good to play the guitar, and when other times you sit down and you can tell you're trying too hard. Like, we know that thing. Anybody who's creative definitely knows that feeling. But there's the, and how I translate that, those little nuanced situations, like the nuanced um, sensations I have when I sit down to draw versus actually putting it out there, experiencing the resistance that I have out in the world, getting rejected, you know, like going to an art gallery and the lady being like, uh, you don't have enough followers on Instagram, so we're not really bothered. Like, I mean, that was literally her answer to me. And I was going, fuck, this is all I need is more followers on Instagram. Okay, so I'll go home and like try and por- post more pictures. Like, I better draw today so I can get more followers on fucking Instagram. And or you just like, buy a package. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe I'll just get a bot that like makes fucking people like me or something. It's just so fucking stupid. And so you can easily have at that moment like, okay, so the only answer is I need more followers on Instagram. Or you come back and go, that person's full of shit. What I need to do is be better connected to the thing I'm trying to do. If I create things more authentically and there is a more an authentic connection between myself and the thing I'm trying to do, surely it resonates with other people. And if it resonates with two people but really resonates, then fuck it, good. Those two people are better than 3,000 bots that don't give a fuck about anything. Because it's so commodified now. That's all this is. You go, I mean... Every single day I will open up Instagram and there's just more dickheads that like my page that aren't real human beings. They're just mm-hmm. like trying to get me, follow back, you know? It's just like, I don't, I can't. I don't want to participate in this shit. This will too. Yes. Yeah. And it fucking, it just, it makes everything feel cheap, man. You know, and that's, 
one of the things is like, that's okay to go, you know what, here's my limit, here's my boat, this is the size, fuck off. Mm -hmm. So how do you get to a point where you feel strong enough to know that limit or understand the size of your boat? I guess fucking up constantly, (laughs) you know, and letting, just sinking, sinking and sinking and sinking, whether it's a quick sink or a... Yeah, like taking too many people on and yeah, all of a sudden straight away you're like, oh, and you're like, uh, and like instantaneously like uh, you just you could say you know you've been on tour for ten days socializing every night just all these people fucking all these people every day and then by the end of it you're done yeah absolutely done I find that um you know in my case having less in vessel two and and not much in Vessel 1, I've been more happy mm-hmm. um, than I've ever been. What I've found is that with Vessel 1 being pretty empty, um, it allows for those who are very heavily Vessel 2 invested, I find that I have more tolerance and more acceptance of that space and that type of person mm. I feel that I can I'm open I'm more open to what I used to get so fucking frustrated about and like how can you not how can you do that how can you mm-hmm. what is it to me mm-hmm. it's none of my business how anyone behaves wants to do you know that that infuriated me yeah. you know we used to write songs about Groups, you know, them and they. And then what's that got to do with me? I make choices that dictate anything that happens in my life. I'm sovereign. Mm -hmm. I say yes or I say no. And what do you say to somebody that has trouble saying yes or no to a circumstance because of whatever reason? I found that. When you talk to those people, who are like, oh, mate, this is what you bang, bang, bang. It, 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 it fucking, the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. Yeah. It's like, if there's one quote that I live by, it's, there is wisdom in knowing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can know things, but that's for me. Yes. It doesn't work for anyone else. And you only know them at the time that you perceived it and then through your own current filters perception. It's such a fucking mangled mess. Like even when you just consider one memory. So the memory, let's say, of you playing in the band eight years ago on stage in Kuala Lumpur, right? So here's a memory of that night. You think I say those words, it's brought to memory or brought to your mind a memory of that evening. Who you were at the time cataloged that memory, not who you are now. So however you're feeling at the time is who recorded that memory. Whatever was happening in your brain at that moment is who said this is what happened. Then the person now who's reviewing that memory has lived for seven years since then, has experienced a whole shitload of new things, and now you're reviewing that from the perspective that you are, but still you're only able to see the perspective that you were then. It's not reality. Neither one of those is accurate. So then when we construct a self based on the memories that we created seven years ago, 12 years ago, four years ago, that all your brain doesn't even have enough computing power at the surface to deal with any of that shit. So it shuts it down, goes into subconscious programming, and it just runs your machine. So then anybody knows why they do what they do, why they feel the way they feel. Any, Any explanation for that is a theory. It's a suggested idea. Even so, yeah, this is like, that frustrates me to no end is this stupid, um, like, 
uh, life coaching, self-help type of thing, like the path, the way, the Jesus, whatever it is, like any one of these that propose to tell you the solution. It's like, that is your opinion, man. <laughs> it's, it literally is, it's a suggested r route and fair enough, but taking anybody for what they're saying as fact or as truth is bullshit. And this is why I, I what I, again, I keep harping on about this book, but the idea is that I'm trying to argue that there is a truth, there is a single truth that exists, but it underlies every theory that any single one of us have ever had. The people who read the Bible and appreciate the Bible and think that the Bible is fact, there's some sensation that the Bible gives them that is the truth. It's not the Bible. It's not their preacher. It's not their family. It's not the kid. It's not Jesus. It's the feeling they get when they think about Jesus. That's the feeling I get when I think about certain paintings I've made or when I am creating one of them or like when I have a fucking amazing conversation with someone that you care about, you know, those kind of things. That's the thing that is Jesus, you know, and somebody says, you know, like, well, Jesus is everywhere and is in everything. And I, I'm like, well, yeah, I completely agree with you, but I wouldn't call him Jesus. I'd say that's the truth because we all know it. Everybody from all whatever fucking your, whatever vagina you got blasted out of and then landed on that color earth, that, feeling is still inside you and it's still inside me when we both connect to it at the same time that's love you know that's like creating some fucking amazing alternate dimension between two hearts mm. it, it's indescribable i had um when i had that horrible blessing in disguise that dmt trip <laughs> yeah what i took out of that was Wait, can you just describe a little bit what DMT is? I talked to um, Tamvir a little bit about ayahuasca on the last podcast because he 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 actually took iboga to get through oh. addiction, which I've never had. But um, we that's, talked a little bit about ayahuasca. That sounds horrific. Yeah, he I said think. it was. He said he was throwing up from the base of his soul for how many hours? <laughs> um, Did he say? Three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said also that when he was throwing up, it was black tar. It was literally, he's like, I don't know if it was tar, but that's exactly what it looked like from the depths of his soul. But anyway, oh. so DMT, um, go ahead, describe what that, mine in was, case people don't know. Yeah, mine was in the, the bark form. Okay. Um, how it came into my hands is a, a story of its own, but this was eight years ago. Yeah. This was pre all the talk, you know, that you can get on the internet. It was pre that. Like Joe Rogan probably popularized DMT more than really anybody else, I think. Yeah, it was, I almost felt like he fucking is in a way responsible for this massive shift. Yes, in a way. I agree. You know, I agree. In with some you. way, there is He's got, yeah. tangentially, you know. But so for me, I didn't know what it was. I kind of knew what could happen. Um, and it's a psychedelic that you smoke. That you smoke. This particular bark form, yeah. Yeah. And I believe it was extracted from the maiden eye wattle okay. in Australia, native to Australia, the acacia. Yeah. Um, the way I got it, it was just bark in a bag, like trying to look like little granules of sand, yeah. you know, and had this very particular smell um, that was in my drawer for no shit two months. Wow. And there was a deep um, longing, but a fucking just fear 
Yeah. You know, yeah. if you've done any psychedelics or anything, marijuana, whatever, where you have that fear of I've gone too deep, if you've experienced that, then this DMT sitting in your fucking drawer and you're smelling it, knowing the capacity of this, quote, drug. Yeah. Um, yeah. So fear, fear, fear beyond fear, one night, Friday night, everyone's gone, I'm alone, I've prepared, well, I thought I'd prepared with um, trying to calm down and meditate, and I didn't even know what meditation was at that time, it was just stop. Anyway, I did it, it didn't work the first time, I got to that rush factor, I mm. needed to go two puffs more, um, the rush factor is what I felt something happening up my spine into the base of my neck or whatever. I thought, fuck that, just, oh, okay. I felt it. You know, when you don't know what's yeah, going to happen, yeah, yeah. it's terrifying. But once I was like, okay, there's part A. Okay, so I went, packed it again. Da, 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 da. And away <laughs> I went and I went and I was gone for, I think, eight minutes. I timed it. Oh. Um, but I had the specific music and that music was in that place. Wow. It really was. It wasn't like the music that you hear, but it was in shape and um, sort of guided like a shaman. Where did you go? Look, I'll tell you. So that initial rush is I'm here and I'm having the panic attack of panic attacks. <laughs> so severe. Like you're going to shit all over the bed severe. Just <laughs> yeah, chaos. And I let go. I accepted I was... Done. Mm. Dead. Like I fully accepted it. Not mentally, no, to the very core of my being, I accepted. It was just so overwhelming, so beyond anything that, and once I made that choice, pure peace. Wow. Pure, just home. The most home I've ever been. Wow. I've ever been. And you know, and then you do the research and it's a familiar thing for a lot of people and they describe shapes and colours and stuff, whatever. I think that's probably part of your brain or your imagine, imagination bringing that over in some way. Yeah, trying because, to make sense of it or something. Yeah, because mine was LCD screens as far as the eye could see. Distance was not a thing. If you so chose to look a million miles away, you could see a million miles away. Mm. You could be, you know, and my life was flashing before me and it was not overwhelming. I could see everything my eyes had ever seen. Oh, wow. You know, bang, bang. And then I was in a room or a dome of some sort, pitch black, and I felt a sense of someone or something watching. Yeah. Just observing. And um, it said, you, you know, it wasn't said, no words were said, but it was like, you must leave. And I was like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. And it let me stay on. And I remember being in some way like, yay, I'm still allowed to be here. Mm -hmm. And then a very strong energy of like, leave. Wow. Not like anger or anything. It was just go assertive, leave. And I opened my eyes and I was still sitting there on the bed with a pipe in my hand. Fuck. Yeah. What I took from that was it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's when I talk to anyone who wants to talk to me and you can see the 
vessel two is overflowing, it's chaos. Yeah. All I can do is sit there and be like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. That's... Sometimes that's all people need to hear, too. Yeah, for sure. But have you, um, did you listen to that? There was a Duncan Trussell podcast about the guy who spent his entire last 20 years researching uh, near-death experiences. It's mm. so crazy. You, so um, in that book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, that was kind of one of the correlations that they drew, is that when people had DMT, in the studies they used, they used intravenous DMT in a clinical environment. And they said that that actually kind of freaked people out worse mm-hmm. than if they were just at home in a living room. But... Um, so they took this DMT and they categorized like all of the experiences that everybody have ha- had. And at one point, towards the end of the trial, he got this just overwhelming sensation that he needed to stop, that he had like gone too far into that world. Similar concept to you. It was just almost like the research told him his stories that were coming back from people who had gone on those trips, you know, they're 15 minutes away with in DMT land. When they came back, he was like, oh, we need to stop this. And he just put an end to it. He wrote the book and he made that cool movie about it. It's a documentary called DMT, The Spirit Molecule. And um, But the correlations that they drew was that that was really similar to people's near-death experiences. So this guy, um, I can't remember his name right now. It's a fucking great podcast, though. It's a real, he's super old and he's on Skype with, <laughs> with Duncan. And um, he spent his entire life researching near-death experiences and he's found unbelievable similarities across the spectrum of like say a hundred thousand testimonials of people who've had near-death experiences people that like um have gone they don't even really realize they're dead yet they come out of their body and they they'll come out of their body and then look down and realize that like they don't really recognize themselves because they've never seen themselves from the outside we can see ourselves through a mirror but the perspective is all fucked up and then you they they like came up and looked down at themselves on the operating table and could hear what the doctors were saying about them. One of them, this guy floated up, looked down at his body, and the doctor was like, okay, time of death, 3.15 p.m. or whatever. And he was like, no, wait, I'm not dead. And he was like tapping the guy on the shoulder, like trying to get the doctor's attention. They go straight through him, just like a ghost in a movie. They go straight through him. They can't, they can't contact him. And it's like no one was listening to him, and they were like packing everything up. And this guy gets this, like, frantic, like, no, I'm not dead. And he goes out into the waiting room to his, where his wife is and is like, I'm not dead, I'm not dead. The doctor tells the story to this researcher, and the doctor goes, I was operating on this guy, we called time of death, and I, as I was packing things up, this crazy woman came flying into the operating room. She came banging on the windows, and he thought that it was a patient from, like, the psych ward had escaped. And so he was waiting for security to come get her. And she was like, that's my husband. That's my husband. He's not dead. He's not dead. Keep giving him CPR. He's not dead. And he didn't know what stopped, what kept him going. But he was like, all right, fine. And they went back in, kept him going, brought him back. And then the guy that comes back tells the story. He's like, I went out of my body and told my wife. And it's so, it's just, who knows what the fuck that any of that is. Vessel three. Yeah, vessel three. (laughs) Exactly. It's like that, that weird level of, of consciousness that we nobody fucking understands. And what's so frustrating is that we fear psychedelic drugs so much that, oh, okay, the only thing that a psychedelic drug does is give you an altered state of consciousness. Consciousness itself is a thing that we cannot understand and have yet to understand at all. There's been a shitload of research trying to figure out what it is that, you know, I mean, we were trying to figure out how to cure breast cancer, but nobody, nobody still understands what the fuck is consciousness. What is this thing? 
are we a radio antenna that's just collecting a frequency in, in a particular fashion? I don't know. What the fuck is this thing? But researching psychedelic substances in a clinical and normal, you know, like systematic scientific way seems like the best way to understand this phenomenon of con- consciousness. And how weird is that, that you would have a correlation between a compound called DMT that you can smoke or put in your veins or whatever, or I drunk it in ayahuasca or in acacia, um, that you can have that experience and it's exactly the same or very similar to somebody having a near-death experience. Mm. And you, as you said, it felt like you died. I wonder about that because I didn't... I wonder, looking back, if that had any sort of... Because from that day... I wasn't the same. Yeah, wow. Simple as that. From that day, and it took two, maybe two, three years of a lot of pain Mm. um, because you're so deep in number two and then you realise there's a one Yeah. and then you're trying to somehow cut back on two. That's massive, you know. Taking responsibility yeah. for your own life. I'm not going to judge my life by the things I do in Vessel 2. I'm just not. I refuse to because it gets you nowhere. It gets you very confused and questioning Vessel 2's self. There is no self in 2. It's a projection mm-hmm. in order for you to to live but do you feel like sometimes if you are well I don't know so maybe we need a, I need a little bit of clarity on the vessel 2 situation if say your job exists in vessel 2 right if your job existed in vessel 1 would you be more satisfied in your life that's what I was trying to talk to about the social media thing yeah okay so you can do whatever you want just work hard yes yeah yeah Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you and that whole work hard. It's You can work hard and your battery will be killed if you work hard in something that is not replenishing you in some way. Mm-hmm. It has to be work hard on the thing that you love, that you know without a doubt, with no... Maybe. Mm-hmm. No, no. I love this so much. Pursue that. Do you think that everybody is capable of finding that love for something? I hope so. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I, if, if, if one can participate in two, I think that's a, a good balance. But if you're trying to pursue something in two and working really hard in world two, you can see where I'm going. Is yeah. What's happening over here with the rusty vessel? Yeah, you've abandoned yourself for the sake of... Because you're working so hard, so hard, not smart. Your vessel, too, is very large and you've got to put a lot of time and effort into maintaining, too. Yeah, man. That's what I found was vessel, too, was constantly sinking. Mm -hmm. Constantly sinking and I had to rebuild, too, rebuild, too, rebuild, too. It's like, you know what? There's no one left on the wharf to build. Yeah, and you start yeah, and you start to forget that that other place even exists. I think uh, one analogy that I had for this, like Ronda Rousey, is a great example of it. That she got into fighting because that was what she loved, and she did it for as long as she did it for, and was amazing at it. She was just the top of the game. But because of the way that she did things so spectacularly, 
Vessel 2 got became this fucking glittering gold yacht made out of pure fucking whatever, diamonds. And everybody wanted a piece. Everybody was bumping her up in this huge thing, like modeling contracts, acting contracts. She's big, 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 big. Everything got enormous for her. She's unbeatable. You know, she was this amazing thing. And then she got kicked in the face. And then it was like... Capsized. Capsized. Huge. Sunk. Sunk completely. And then there... In order for her to find her way back to Vessel 1, like that that Vessel 1 had been lost on a fucking remote island so many billions of miles back because and it's not even her own fault. It's just this, like, when you're constantly surrounded by people that want something from you, think you're the best, telling you you're good, all this shit, money, money, movies, movies, more stuff, go more. And all the only thing she knows is if I show up and work hard, I'll be fine. I show up and work hard, I'll be fine. Eventually, someday's gonna, someone is going to get better than you. Eventually, somehow, that boat will capsize because it can only reach a certain limit and that doesn't and that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing necessarily because when you think about the reason why she got into fighting in the first place was because she wanted to challenge it and push herself but the glittering boat that that became that giant vessel of diamonds there was no more challenge in that necessarily except for to just wake up and live your life every day and she would have been feeling lonely and confused and stuck under momentum and wanting to find that feeling again in something else, but she was stuck on the boat because the feeling that she was seeking was the vessel that she left on the island. We've heard the term empty vessel. She's just an empty vessel. Mm. You can see it dead behind the eyes, empty yeah. vessel. You know, another good way to clarify the, the boat analogy thing is that boat one, you love to help um, sick children or whatever it may be. You want to help people, you know, on a deep level. Head over to number two and do coding. Do a coding course for three years. Come back to one, build a website, build a, the whole front end, back end, build the whole thing in order to do that. Yes. You, you have the skills required yeah. to do that. But if your two boats are not quite in sync and you haven't made that decision from one I get you. and you head to two, you're going to be like, maybe is it that? And, and you're sort of looking at it going, oh, it's fucking, uh, and you're like, oh, I don't really like coding. And then you head over to design mm-hmm. uh, and I'll head over here. And, you know, you're getting nowhere fast. Yes. Make the decision from one, no one, yeah. head to two. Get your shit in balance. Because isn't it funny, when you're over in Vessel 2, it's easy to get distracted by things. Like, So you originally went over to Vessel 2 to because you wanted to learn how to write websites so you could help sick kids say this is your thing. Like, You wanted to help people. You figured out if I knew it was a good, skilled web designer, I could create this website that I envision is going to help a lot of people. But then you get over there, and you had to do three different jobs for three different companies. And one of the companies goes, man, you're really good at web design. I could give you a $300,000 a year salary and keep you over here. And by the way, here's a hooker and a couple bags of Coke. And you're like, yeah, nice. I'm going to keep going with this for a while. And I don't blame you because it sounds fun. But you eventually are there. And then you remember this little voice in the very back of your head was like, remember the first time that you wanted to build a website because you wanted that challenge and you actually, the original intent was over here to help people. Are you helping people? Because that's the question, man. You're absolutely right. It's like, if you're doing anything on Vessel 2 or in your normal daily life that is still in 
in alignment with your truth or whatever with that thing that makes you feel happy, you aren't going to get that capsized feeling. You aren't going to lose track of it because you know that y you literally are just winding your way through the waters together as this unified craft. But you're right. Like, as soon as you fucking lose track of why you originally got there in the first place, it's a hell of a track back to find that lost murky. boat. Yeah. You know, look, I, I often think, like, um, nature, you know, being in nature. And you look at those people who are, like, professional fishermen or some sort of bushman, a ranger of sorts. That's what you do for a job, right? And you look at them and they have this thing about them, you know. They, don't, they prefer to be out there than in... And with all these people, they love being alone. Yeah. But they happen to get paid for it. Professional fisherman I like to use because... So professional fisherman, he's catching fish and stuff because he's in some network that's a fishing show. So he's thick too. But he's doing what he loves yes. in nature. That's a very good balance between the one and the two. Right there. It's yeah. like it, it's hidden in strange forms in number two, but... You can see a one. But and even then, in speaking in that term, like if I was a professional fisherman, I would be fucking miserable. Wouldn't right. matter how good I was at fishing. That's not my thing, man. I would fucking hate it. And that's part of the pain is not knowing what you are. What yeah. you want in from one. Yes, you know? and man. Uh, how do you hurts. how do you think you go about figuring out what that thing is? Like, what do you know? How do you know for sure what one is? That intuition you spoke of, yeah. really listening to it right from the get-go, don't like it, boom, make the move. Mm. Try before you buy. Yeah, experience You things. just do everything, you know, but don't stay busy, you know. Have that intent in searching for something strong, yeah. you know, not mildly strong. We're looking for fucking stainless steel here. Mm. That's in itself timeless that could take 20 years but yeah. understand that it's okay it's going to be okay like well and that's the whole i mean we exist like so at the end of the day you're going to die right that's, everyone does yeah so what's the point in living if you aren't constantly looking for something to make that feeling happen for you and, and uh, that is i guess like when when i come to uh, the conclusion of this whole idea is that the truth is the meaning of life. It's that feeling that you get when you watch a romantic comedy and you're a little bit lonely and you go, I just want Mr. Right. Even that, as an insipid of an example as it is, that's the exact same sensation that we all want. We just want to feel connected. I want to feel like I can create a life that I don't want to escape. That's it. And if I... So if I... If somebody told me that in order for me to figure out how to make a life that I need, I didn't want to escape, all I had to do was spend five minutes a day thinking about what I didn't want to escape, and eventually that would create my, the life I want, that would be amazing. And that pretty much is all you're saying. You have to know what you don't want to do. Mm. And that's that experience thing. Get out there, get dirty. Don't put walls around how we say, oh, I don't do that because, you know. Go play netball if you're a male. You know, <laughs> go do everything. Don't be caught in these weird little fucking boxes we put ourselves in. Yeah. Number two, boxes. Fuck the boxes. Do everything. Yeah. Try everything. Don't like things. Find things. Just move. Just keep moving and mm. just in a direction. You'll find you're heading somewhere rather than nowhere. Uh, another thing with that life 
being a joke, you know. Knowing you are to die gives value to life. Yes. Very strange concept to know death gives more in life. Mm. Very strange. I suppose it gives you like an element of freedom because it's like I'm going to die either way, so who gives a fuck? Exactly. Why do I care so much? We've all seen it. Someone who's had a near death or had something, they are not the same person. Mm -hmm. Something's happened. Whether it be on a DNA level, I'm no scientist. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Something's happened. And that happened when I was 30. Yeah, yeah. Five years ago, I didn't see this. Yeah. You know, and that's just how And only through the experience are. of doing it too. You know, like a lot of people get to tough points in their relationship and just give up or get to that point of like you just got married recently and like that feeling of like, fuck, this is a life commitment. I can't do it. I'm out. You know, and what you've done, you've charged straight headlong into that thing that you were most afraid of because you knew the end result was worth it, that she was absolutely worth it. Yeah. And you've built this thing I through was communication. single forever. Yeah. I don't think I had one girlfriend. Maybe I was, but we were 12 and, you know, those yeah. girlfriends. So I didn't have anything for most of my entire life. So it was almost like when you're ready, like ready, ready, you got to know when you're ready. Yeah. you got to know when you're ready. When you're ready, it'll, it'll start to come into your orbit. And that's right. what I was projecting at that point. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. And it was this boom, boom, boom. And not ready for like, I'm ready to get married. Not like that. (laughs) But like, I'm ready to meet someone to learn with. Yeah. You know, and it needs to be someone that, you know, is is deep. Yeah, yeah, In every way. And there was a few funny ones on in those 25. It was hilarious moments. Oh, Tinder, man. Fuck Um, that. Do you know I've never been on Tinder still? I just, I can't, there, there's just no way I could deal with that shit. I don't ever meet anybody yet. I don't know. I think I'm scared of it now. I think you get that used to, like, I've attempted things. I definitely will go and spend time with people. But again, it's like I get worried about my vessel one a little bit because I think I'm working so hard on trying to figure out what I want to do that I, that it seems like an encroachment on my life a little bit. And so then I get nervous. I had this panic the other day that I was like, am I ever going to love anyone? Like, I don't know if I can love people. Because as soon as anyone gets close to me, I'm kind of like, it's good, but I just need to keep going with what I'm working on. And the only really answer for that is that you are with somebody else who's also working on something too. So that you both can build your life together, but you don't have to be with each other all the time. It's also why you're so defensive. Why do you think that it will play a role on one? Is that just what you've created in your own mind? or? Well, I just feel like I don't have time. Yeah, see, that, that was that fucking... I know this all too well. Yeah. Fucking time thing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until I cleared out Vessel 2 where I realised that I had time. Yeah, yeah, I guess until you make time for it, yeah. Just battling against time and it was... I hate that fight. Yeah, and it it's was, awful. It's, it's counterintuitive whereby you lessen the load the more time you have, but you feel like you need to do more things in, in order to get somewhere. Yes. You know, and it's it doesn't... It just... Do the math. Mm. Do the fucking math. It's just like you are you gonna go whole hog, two feet in, whole hog, you must go whole hog or don't. Mm. You know, and that's that fight against time. I'm gonna commit three good, solid years, a hundred percent to this thing. You fucking go out in that desert, man, and just 
sand storms and shit, you know, like it's going to turn into nine, you know, right, yeah. right. It's the same concept of someone who goes, oh, I'm just going to warehouse for three years, get some money or go mining or whatever, get yeah. it, you know, and then blah, 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 I'll get out and it turns into four, turns Fuck, into yeah. seven. You know what I mean? It's and like, that, uh, w- in doing that, you develop this horrendous habit of escaping your life. That's what the ayahuasca told me when I was in there fucking writhing on my balcony. It said, you are trying to out-escape your life. And I'm going, I know I just need to get through this. And they're like, get through what? What are you getting through? Because that's it. Every day of my life, in fight camp, it's like, just get to the end of the fight. Just get through the end of training. Get through this round. Get through, the, get through, get through. It will be good once this happens. I'll be good soon. And in the last three months, just having this time to take a minute to reflect it was like i every day that i've lived for the last two months the first month was very weird wobbly readjustment like i w- went from being this muay thai fighter this person to being a person with a torn knee who gained a lot of weight because <laughs> i ate all the food that i normally can eat and whatever it was so all these fucking ego things inside my head watching other people train hard and get better and get stronger and i'm getting weaker and fatter and grosser and more self-conscious and then all of a sudden, I just had this like beautiful moment of clarity. I was like, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I need to focus my directed, direct, focus my attention on exactly what I'm trying to do and keep walking forward and enjoy my life. And every day for the last two months, I am actively engaged in my life and genuinely enjoying what I do. It's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Very funny because... I think that, you know, when you do the thing you love and you're on this path, right, and you'll meet someone who's doing the thing they love on this path and you come together, they could be an asshole, you know. But when it's these two, they could be so vastly different. It doesn't mean that you have to become one. No. You know? Um, This one may not understand your vessel one at all. Their vessel, they probably don't really know there's a vessel one. Mm. But I find there is huge comfort and, and actual satisfaction from I will show to my other half like a, a depth of, you know, like, just like like overwhelming like sense of love for like just her innocence yeah or something that's so normal to her but to me is profound because I can see this young kid in her that's grown into this you know and uh, the the depth of it Mm. she may not have that depth her depth is different in how she views me yes and it's almost we're so we're so different um in our views on life and stuff like that but at the core of it, it was not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. And that's that thing. And nothing ever is, is it? No, and that's what it's like you gotta try. You gotta do it to make that decision, to make that choice. This doesn't work for me mm. right now. The timing's off. I like it, but the timing's off. Yeah. You know? You've got to know when to say when. Yeah. I, I think of a, a New Zealand drinking slogan when I was growing up. They used to put their hand over a beer. And it'd be like, you got to know when to say when. And I was always like, this is so stupid as a youngster. <laughs> Just, you know, keep drinking. You, you know when to say when. Well, you don't. Some of yeah. us don't. You got to know when to put your hand over that glass. Nah. Call that. Make that statement. Boom. Nah. Yeah. You know? Yes or no. Or just get swept away in the tide. 
And either way, it doesn't matter. I think because that I guess that's kind of a, to be full circle and we'll sort of end on this, but like that idea that we think like, am I making the right choice? Is this the right path? Am I doing the right thing? It's like there's no right or wrong. You just do it until you don't anymore. And when you don't, either you learn something from it or you don't. Don't be afraid of the time thing. Mm. Don't think it has to happen now. Just move and keep moving with number one as your rudder. Yeah. And just keep moving, man, because if you think that I'm going to be old at 37, like, what do you mean? Is that when it's old? Is that when it's over? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Like, you just keep going, you know. And I, I didn't want to talk about this but the death thing like it's almost an acceptance of death like a core value at yeah. a core like the acceptance of death allows the smaller things in life to be potent to be you know they seem like overseen you know mm-hmm. no one focuses on things but you see them and just like like after a fight you talked about that feeling Mm-hmm. After the fight, it's like the psychedelics. If you've had a bad trip, and yeah, then you yeah. break through the other side, and then everything's new again yes. in some ways, like a refreshing, like that. It's like probably being born. Yeah, in some way, like we can argue like the science behind it, but it's experienced, you know, and yeah. it's a common occurrence amongst individuals is that you feel reborn, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that death thing is like experiencing. Like I felt like I died. Like yeah. I experienced death. And then it just, the whole landscape changed. Wow. You know, it was almost like touching and it was almost like it was all renewed. It was, I was uh, in an alien body. Yeah. Bumbling, what the fuck, you know? And it was, it was extreme and sort of like, like an F-16 fighter pilot with like a little crack in the windscreen. Yeah. For three years. Fuck. Like, hanging on, like trying to be like, this is so wrong to be doing the things I was doing at the time. It was so... Just it was a battle. Yeah, resistance, it, resistance, resistance res- yeah. heavy resistance, like two magnets, boom, just not working, just ah. And so when you came out of it, it was like you embraced being a body again. Yeah, embrace life, Whole. acceptance. Yeah, uh-huh, wow. Yeah, like back coming back to the circle. Mm. You know, the one. It's actually two. Yeah, that's how yeah. I can kind of make sense of. Of what's going on, you know, of, from who well, I've known you for a long time, and like when we first met to who we are now, we're not the same people. Oh fuck no! I you know? know, and it's kind of like, and isn't that amazing that you can still be friends with people? Like, because like you were saying before, you can't predict what the outcome is ever going to be, and like I wouldn't never know that you are that who you are from when I met you ten years ago to being the person you were then. Mm. We, but the truth is that that thing was always there. Is that I looked at you, I looked at your sister, I looked at your brother, and I knew that there's something special inside there that speaks to me in a way that makes it valuable for me to continue to be around you guys and talk to you and care about you. And you've become my family. Mm. And that's what I mean, the seven channels. Yes. You know what I mean? You still keep in contact via some sort of hidden line. Yes. You're still linked. Yeah. It's not like you've, you've, you've just turned off and you don't, Think about them anymore. Yeah. It's like you will always because it goes far deeper than you can comprehend. But yeah, and um, it's not the surface as who you think you are. It's bigger than that. And that's yeah. the planet. That's the the orbit thing. Yes, uh, are you a comet and you just go shh and just keep going, <laughs> or do you come into my orbit and you actually get pulled in by the gravity? 
Yeah. You know, there's so many similarities with science and like that's why I love it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you've got mates, you probably have mates too from school. Still mm-hmm. in your orbit. Still in there, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it's just you're in my fucking orbit, so I'm gonna keep an eye on you. Yeah, yeah. Are we gonna collide or are we gonna dance together, you know? And that's you're in orbit. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh yeah, I still know you're there, you know, but there's a yeah. lot of people that you've met and you had good times with that you don't talk to anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they were an asshole or anything. It's just they're not in your orbit. Yeah. It's just not in your orbit. Nothing against you at all. Just the way life pushes you. And letting go of that too is a tough thing. I think a lot mm. of times we we absorb people at certain points in our lives because we needed them for whatever that challenge of life was during that period of time. And then when it's time and it's over, you know that thing like you were saying, like when it's time, you know you you know when to say when. Sometimes that person isn't quite in your orbit still, and you're, you're like, you know, the magnets are pulling, 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 and you're like, fuck, no, just hold on, because I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to keep you. We went to school together. I need to keep you. And then eventually it's just like, ah, oh, like, oh. And that's kind of... There's no fun. shame in that. It's like, no. And I think that we, we're always like, oh, you don't have any mates from, you know, your younger days or whatever. You, you should probably have one or two people that you've made some connection to if you're not a psychopath. But for the most part, like, there's nothing wrong with culling people that aren't serving your general purpose anymore. It's like, I'll talk to them, mm. but, but I don't know where they are. Mm. Um, and that leads us back to the band, is that with the band, we met so many people and had, like, we were like a, we were like a party that moved. So wherever <laughs> yeah, we bet, went, yeah. there was a party and the people would turn up. So you had to be on point. Yeah. You were rinsed, fucking rooted, but you had to turn up. Yeah. And perform and do your thing. But those people along the way, we see as a whole journey, whereas they all they see you is when they were in Sydney on this day because they lived there, mm-hmm. right? So this last song we wrote was a way in which to sort of close the door on that whole entire journey and what that band represented. And this was a song written... To them. Mm. You guys recorded it recently, didn't you? Yeah. It was to them from us. Cool. Yeah, and that was, that was a way of saying, like, you guys don't know. You were just living your lives, but it meant a lot to mm. us. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. To see you. When's that come out? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, it's done. It's all done, ready and rocking, but I don't really know what's happening with it. I was always that guy. I sucked at that sort of side of it. I just loved the... The writing part of it, yeah. The you know showing it, it was like you've heard it so many fucking times. I just I don't. Oh, it hurts to hear it. Yeah. You know I'm very proud of it, but I can't listen to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I know that cunt inside and out. Yeah. You know, and it's just like just let it go to where it needs to go. Let yeah. them put it in their drink and drink it. Yeah. You know, oh, and cool. that's a good way of finishing this. Is that that yeah. closes a chapter. Yeah, man. Massive chapter of our life. Yeah, that and was huge. That yeah, was enormous. Fuck. It was everything. Mm. It's all we did. No wonder I was single. Um, that time that went into that, that was that thing no one really knows, no one needs to know. Mm-hmm. But fuck me, did it shape you Yeah. to who you are today. Yeah, yeah. and it shaped you. a lot of people's lives too. I mean, the boys, everybody always talks about those times that they had with you guys playing. We were like... We were that band and Fez, you know, he's try- we're trying to talk about how to do a video. Mm. And I'm trying to capture that. I'm trying to think how to take the 
focus away from the band singer, got you know, and move it to, and uh, not about the band. It was about the band was a time for us to get together. Mm. Whether you were fifty k's out, and why would you go to the city? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, there's no reason. Like we live out. Um, why do I need to come here? There's a reason for it, and the, we were that reason. Yeah. It wasn't like the songs moved. You know, maybe it moved one or two, but you know what I mean. There was like it was something else going on rather than do just you know music. That you guys were the reason. Like your band, me having the excuse to go to Melbourne was the main r- catalyst that changed everything about my the trajectory of my life for the last five years. I'm because I'm writing this book now about um, like when I first discovered that I was, I realized that I was miserable, so deep in my own depression and so fucked. The th- I was laying in my bed in my donga at the mines. And I was about to go home for my week off. And um, Stephen was on his way up to work because we were on opposite swings. So we'd literally see each other on the highway. I'd been with him six years. I'd see him on the highway. We'd kiss each other, hope you have a good week, and then we'd go our separate ways. And that was had been my life for the last six months. And I was just fucking dead miserable. I'd go home to Margaret River, lay on the couch, drink wine all day, eat food periodically when I felt like it, and watch movies fall asleep, wake up, do it again. That's all I did. Mm. I didn't write. I didn't draw. I didn't do anything. Every once in a while when I felt like particularly fucked, somehow something miraculous would take me and I'd pick up a pen and I'd draw something for a bit or I'd read a book. And then those were little glimpses of this like magic feeling that brought me back into my body, brought me back into wanting to be alive. And then I would lose it again under this just gray blanket of just empty nothingness. And it wasn't Stephen's fault, but it was just that thing like where I was just dead miserable and lost for myself. I had left my number two vessel or my number one vessel fucking somewhere else on another planet. That, like, I was so deep in the yacht, but my yacht was also disintegrating. It wasn't like I was on a big, glorious yacht and buying into the bullshit. I was in this fucked up, disintegrated yacht. I was so close to the verge of just death, nothing. And then, um, so I was laying on my dong a bed and I was about to go home for the week I knew that I had nothing to go home to except for my couch and a bottle of wine or 12 and um, I saw that you guys were playing in Melbourne that weekend and I had all that money from the mines and I just was like "Uh, fuck it I'm gonna go (laughs) what better thing to do because I knew from meeting you guys on the Gold Coast when I first met you and I'd known you for that year and a half or whatever before we moved to Margaret River I knew that you guys had something special. There was something magical about you guys and how much I love Tracy and how much I missed her. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to go. Whatever. I don't care. And I went and spent an entire week in Melbourne by myself and then was w- so excited to see you guys that night. And remember, your plane didn't come? Oh. You were on Tiger Air and it didn't come. And so I, I, they ended up getting a different band to play that night, and I went to the gig anyway because I was like, well, fuck it. I came all the way to Melbourne for this anyway. You guys didn't come, and I was devastated. I was like, oh, this is fucked. I flew all the way over here, and I, mm. now I'm just by myself wow. in a hotel room just staring at the walls. And um, Tracy said, oh, Ferret's still there. He came over because he came over from New Zealand to see you. And I was like, well, fuck it. At least I can go and say hey to Ferret. Um, and if it's terrible, if it's awful, I'll just go home and drink by myself at the hotel room anyway. And I went there and just it bl- absolutely blasted me into another version of reality. I mean, sitting down with Ferret and Creams and Patterson for the entire weekend, drinking, laughing, thinking, talking about DMT, talking about ideas. I was reading books. I was looking at artwork. And all of a sudden, it was just like... I knew that there was one thing that was more important than anything else in the world, and that was connecting to myself again. 
And it only was possible because you guys had done it. You you guys showed me that there was a way to live. It didn't matter if you lived at your parents' house and you played in your band. That model existed, and I knew that I had a way out. Right. And it changed everything. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Oh. I remember not making the fucking gig. <laughs> Fuck I mean, you. Yeah, that was, oh, <laughs> it was just so strange. That wasn't that the weird. The whole thing. I mean, the airport, they, they didn't even say anything. I know. Just like, <laughs> uh, so weird. Yeah, just like, uh, nah. And yeah. we were just like, but uh, that was it. Because Virgin flew out. Wow. And they said, no, the weather. And we were like, uh, plane just took off. It was fucking strange, man. That was, was the weirdest we were night. So, we were so amped for it. Damn. And it was, it was going to be good, too, because the boys are so excited. I hadn't seen those kids forever. I'd never met Creams before. And then we just had, like, just the funnest time. It was so good. It's good to hear. Yeah. Because we just went home and went to bed. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, you missed a like hell of a weekend. <laughs> I remember being very fucking yeah, furious about that one. Yeah. You know, because at that time we were like, we did our shit jobs mm. and this was our, this was our moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This is where we practiced four nights a week for this. And then you're sitting <laughs> in the airport with your shitty bag like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. What happened? And then we you know, back out the sliding doors like... <laughs> Back to your shit bed. Oh, what? <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. We never made it. Nah. Anyway, <laughs> we've been talking forever. Thank you so much. It's always so good talking to you. Likewise. Yeah. Good shit, man. Yeah. And um, if you do get that song, put it out in the world. The band was called Not Okay, but it's not around anymore. I wonder if Justin could send it to you. Yeah, send it to me and I'll put it up on here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.